Welcome to the Daily Grind Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Colin Morgan. Listen, are you tired of not living a fulfilling life? Do you believe you deserve more? Do you want more? Is it finally your time? If yes, then stick around. I welcome you to the Daily Grind. business, whether you're starting out or you've done this for a while, if you've listened to the show, you have heard countless people over and over again talk about the importance of mentorship, of learning from people who have come before you. This is why I highly recommend my friend Eric Gilbert Williams. Eric was interviewed on this podcast, episode 429, which I would highly recommend you checking that episode out. The reason why I loved Eric is, listen... This is no hype, no strings attached. Eric is all about results. Are you trying to make your first million? Do you feel like you're burning out? Do you have a sales problem? Are you stuck on recruiting and managing your team? Do you have a legal dispute? Angry customers? Are you confused about accounting? These are all issues that come up. Eric specializes in helping early stage founders and entrepreneurs drive down stress and drive up profits. You want the guy in your corner who's been there and done it before. Eric built a number one fastest growing company. He ran it, he sold it successfully, and he wants to help you do the same. Listen, Eric has been generous enough to give you listeners three people. He's leaving exactly three openings in his schedule right now. And all you have to do to reach out, say hi to Eric and get in touch with him is email him directly at Eric at ericgilbertwilliams.com. That's Eric with a C, eric at ericgilbertwilliams.com. Or you can message him on LinkedIn. His name is Eric Gilbert Williams. All the stuff's going to be in the show notes, guys. But listen, he just puts his direct email out there to you listeners in the podcast. How amazing is that? There's no bullshit right to the point. He wants to help you, but only three. Listen, everyone, like I have been in touch with Eric. You want to work with this guy because he's been through the muck. He's come out the other side successfully. Listen, he wants to help you. He's willing to help you. And he doesn't take your money if you're not happy with his help. How amazing is that? There's no reason why you shouldn't try this out. You can email him again directly at eric at ericgilbertwilliams.com or message him on LinkedIn at ericgilbertwilliams.com. 
listen, he makes business mentoring simple. No hype, just results, no strings attached. All this stuff is in the show notes, everyone. Listen, he doesn't, let you, he doesn't take your money unless he gets you results. How amazing is that? There's no reason for you guys not to check this out. Again, eric at ericgilbertwilliams.com, everyone. Check it out. Good morning, everybody. Colin Morgan here, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today on The Daily Grind, we are joined by Mr. Scott Young. Scott is a writer who undertakes interesting self-education projects, such as attempting to learn MIT's four-year computer science curriculum in just 12 months and learning four languages in just one year. Scott has a new book coming out, which is going to be absolutely amazing. It's on ultra learning. Listen, if you want to get better, no matter what you're doing, you need to consume and learn at a rapid rate. And this is what Scott is a genius at. So as always, everyone, be sure you have a pen, piece of paper, sit back and really dive deep in today's interview with Mr. Scott Young. Enjoy. Well, Scott Young, welcome to the Daily Grand, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Great to be here. Of course, Scott. Well, uh, Scott, for people listening, being first introduced to who you are today, if you wouldn't mind just kind of briefly stating a little bit more as to who Scott is and what it is that you do. Right. So I'm a writer and a blogger. And I guess the thing that I'm sort of known for is taking on unusual self-directed learning projects. Things uh, that I've done include things like the MIT Challenge, which was a project I took on about eight years ago to learn MIT's four-year computer science curriculum in 12 months with taking any other classes. I also did a project called The Year Without English to learn four languages in one year with the method of not speaking English and traveling to four countries, which were Spain, Brazil, China, and South Korea. And just recently, I published a book uh, that was a Wall Street Journal bestseller, Ultra Learning. And it is about how you can teach yourself hard skills like languages, like programming, in order to improve your career and really to live a better life. Interesting, man. How long have you like going back a few uh few years so to speak obviously you're a writer blogger now did you do something before that so i've been blogging and believe it or not since i was 17 so i have done some other things other than blogging but i have been yeah i think i've been now is it 14 years or 15 years now i have to (laughs) i have to consult the calendar to check but it's it's been a while that i've been writing so i've been i wrote the whole time i was in university and that was when i got kind of involved in the sort of study hacking community of how you learn faster because when you're a full-time student obviously the more time you don't have to spend studying the more time you can have uh doing fun things or starting a business or all sorts of stuff like that cool so what were you blogging about when you were 17 yeah so when i first started i think i got really interested in a lot of this stuff on you know what could be said to the very early blogosphere on productivity and self-improvement and goal setting and i think i came from it from this perspective that just these ideas were ones that i'd never heard before like I don't know. I know that a lot of people, when they get into changing habits, for instance, they become kind of converted to this philosophy because they've just never considered before. Oh, I could just sequentially change habits like once a month to just change my behavior and I could just become a much more effective person. So I think that was sort of my initiation point. So I really liked 
you know, early bloggers that I read were people like Steve Pavlina. And then of course, you know, people who wrote, wrote books like Tony Robbins, and Brian Tracy and stuff. And I was really interested in these ideas, but like a lot of people, I didn't have a lot of people in my environment to chat with them about. And so I was interested in kind of talking about them, writing about them. And I started writing and I just kind of kept going with it. And, you know, eventually that became my kind of profession. And, and sort of throughout that, I really discovered this kind of focus on learning because I think learning is a sort of underappreciated lens for viewing life that we tend to view it in terms of effort and drive. But if you view life as being a puzzle that you have to solve, I think that can often be a lot more valuable because when you don't have the motivation, what do you do? But when you view motivation as a puzzle that you have to solve of how do I get the ingredients to be successful with this goal? Uh, I think you can often make a lot more progress. So this has been a theme that has really been since the beginning of my blog, but I certainly one that has accelerated over the last decade. Interesting. Do you ever view like, do you ever view anything like overlearning, like learning too much as being like something that's a bad thing? Or do you just not you just think? Yeah, so actually, in my book, one of the chapters I talk about is this idea I call directness. And I think this problem stems from the fact that when I say learning, most of us think of kind of like book learning and, you know, sitting in a classroom and taking notes. And they're like, well, obviously, you can kind of do too much of that, right? But if you look at the research on learning, and I'm using sort of the broad version of learning, meaning kind of like any changes that happen in your brain from experience that are beneficial. This is sort of a definition psychologists often yeah. use. If you look at this sort of broader definition, it turns out that this kind of academic overly sort of you take a class and you learn things has a big problem. And this is what's known as the problem of transfer, which is that you learn things in a classroom that very often you can't apply in real life. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I cover in ultra learning is not to focus on learning in terms of studying to pass tests, but in terms of how do you get really good at skills? And it turns out that the people who get really good at skills are doing a lot of things. They're not just studying a lot of things. So learning is a very active process. And so the kind of people that become you know, great programmers spend a lot of time programming and they're learning through trying to build their own programs, getting feedback, identifying their weaknesses. There's a lot of this interactive process of getting better at it, which is very different from, you know, just pulling up a textbook and just reading it over and over again. And so I think there is a lot of misconceptions like this about learning that lead us to maybe assume that maybe we're bad students or maybe we don't know how to learn certain things when really we just haven't found the right way to approach it. And this is true for languages, it's true for skills like programming and math, it's true for things like public speaking. And I've got examples of all of those in the book. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because like for me, not that I was a bad student, but I was never a great student. Like I just didn't catch mm-hmm. my attention. I did enough to get by. Yeah. And it wasn't until after that I started to get interested in something. You're completely right that I started to really focus in on it. And then you realize like, wow, I'm actually not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's totally true. I think a lot of people have, you know, gone through this school system, which is, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage it too much because there are useful things you can learn in school, mm-hmm. but I think it can often be kind of a very specialized way of learning. And if you, if that didn't really hook you <laughs> when you were in school, you get this idea that, ah, this whole learning thing is, this is just not for me. When really, maybe if you approach things in a different way, you would experience better results. And so some of the stories that I have in here, one of the guys that was really my first inspiration into this kind of world of ultra learning was Benny Lewis, who speaks about 10 plus languages. And he himself admits that when he was in school learning languages, he wasn't very good at them. Like he he didn't get great grades studying German in high school. And it was only traveling 
and actually going through the process of immersion where he was just speaking with people and having that regular practice in conversations, not sitting in a classroom studying from a book endlessly, that he actually became quite good and was able to learn multiple languages. So not even just becoming fluent in one language, but becoming fluent in several or more. And so I think this is a lesson, not just for language learning, but for lots of things we want to learn that we have kind of the wrong metaphor about mm. how improvement looks like. And, and we've kind of been drilled that, well, if you want to learn things, you got to sit and study a lot when really often what you need to do is a lot of practice. And even when you're doing things like reading or even sitting in a class, there's often ways you can turn and transform that to make it more active, to make the things that you learn stick a lot better. And that's another lesson that many students who go to class, they use actually one of the most ineffective techniques for studying, which is this repeated review approach, which I document from some of the scientific literature in, in the book. Interesting. So, so your story, you go to what university did you go to? So I actually went to University of Manitoba. This was uh, okay. a number of years ago now, and I studied business. Yeah. And I studied business because, like a lot of people, I wanted to go and start my own business. So I figured I should gotcha. study business. And then it was after a couple of years, I realized that, oh, actually, <laughs> this is mostly how do you be a good little middle manager in a large company yeah. and not how you can start your own business. And so after that, I, I did this project I mentioned earlier, the MIT Challenge, which was uh, trying to get a computer science education or learn how to program, learn how to understand how computers and technology works. Um, but I didn't go to school. I did this entirely on my own using sort of these free resources. And that oh, was sort cool. of kind of one that of my first big projects in there. Yeah. So you did it. You, you learned, did you, like, did you learn a year in four years? Would you have said that like you successfully accomplished that? Yeah, yeah. So the, wow. what the project was is MIT posts a lot of their class materials online for free. So if you go to MIT OpenCourseWare, there are hundreds of MIT classes which have lectures, which have assignments with problem sets, and importantly, they have final exams with solutions for many of them. Mm -hmm. And so what I decided to do is I was sort of looking over this and I was like, you know, has anyone ever tried to simulate uh, an education, a computer science degree, without actually going to school, just by trying to study and learn and pass the final exams. And, and then for computer science, obviously, because programming is important, I also did the programming projects as well. And so there's uh, 33 classes in that sequence. And with okay. some slight modifications, I was able to go through and do all of those. And, and because I had that flexibility, because there's actually, you know, you can take an exam whenever you're ready. You don't have to, you know, wait till the actual test date and, you know, wait weeks to get feedback from your assignments and stuff. Um, I was also able to do it a little bit more quickly, I think, than a typical MIT student would be able to do. And so that was also another little benefit of that as well, is that I did it over 12 months rather than the typical four years. That's cool, man. So you do that for 12 months. Obviously, you're done now. Like, did you start your own business at that time? Did you get a job? Like, what were you doing uh, yeah. those you know, couple of months or years after? So it's really interesting because that was sort of a, right around when I was doing that project was about the time when, as I mentioned, you know, I'd been blogging since I was 17. It was about yeah. the time when I was starting to make a full-time income from just writing and just having my wow. blog and, and doing that. And so, uh, although I was very interested in kind of computer science and it, it obviously impacted my, my personal business, um, you know, I, I was doing well at that point. So I wasn't that keen on like getting a completely new job and abandoning all this work I'd put in. However, you know, I think it's interesting because a lot of people who you know might like to be learning programming that's what they would care about is being able to become a professional programmer and it was interesting because after this project um uh, reddit the the social sort of news aggregator yeah. 
my kind of story, I kind of posted this YouTube video just saying, well, you know, I finished the project and that kind of got taken up and it was on the front page of Reddit and there was all this discussion there. And some people were sort of saying, well, you know, it's too bad that it doesn't matter because if you don't have the degree, it doesn't count. And then there's people in the comments below that who are like claiming to be, you know, HR directors for software firms being like, no, no, this is the kind of person that we want to hire who is, you know, taking the initiative to learn things. And, um, you know, even one guy reached out to me and he wanted to set me up with an interview with Microsoft. Another guy wanted to me to join their startup. So I think I probably could have transitioned into a software role. Mm -hmm. Um, at that point it's just, you know, it just turned out that I I liked writing more than, um, becoming a full-time programmer and and I didn't intend on switching careers, but I think this approach to learning now, you don't have to do a full degree. There's obviously many, many ways about going about this, but the idea of taking on these challenges to master hard skills yourself, I think very often can produce outsized career improvements versus, you know, either going back and spending tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on tuition or, you know, just sort of working hard every single day and not upgrading your skills and not really reaching the cutting edge of what you can do with your profession. That's really interesting, man. So what would you say to like someone listening who maybe is wanting to break out into something else? They're not, they're not happy with where they are. They're trying to start something. Um, I believe that, you know, becoming an ultra learner, like you said, like it's the most mm-hmm. important thing you can do misinformation is the worst right like not having the information it's like if you were sick mm-hmm. you, there was no doctor you could turn to right like it's the lack of information that i think people are missing what would you suggest to someone you know in sort of that crisis state wanting to learn something else but they really maybe don't know what they're trying to learn yeah so figuring out what you try and what you want to learn is is can often be a big stumbling block mm-hmm. because you don't know what other opportunities are there so one of the techniques that i i've found really effective and i've worked with people on this is what i call the expert interview method and basically the idea is that you find people who have kind of accomplished something roughly similar to what you'd like to accomplish so if we're going back to my story about learning computer science if my jo- goal had been i would like to get a job sort of entry-level programming and transition to that career then it would be find some people who've been, you know, doing that for, for several months and particularly yeah. people who you can kind of match for reference class. So maybe don't pick the guy who, you know, went to Harvard and, and graduated with honors. If you, if you know, you yeah. didn't pe- pass high school, but yeah. you can often find people that are similar, like e- even just this programming example, I've known many programmers that don't have degrees in computer science, for instance, that are productively employed as programmers. And you can talk to them and just sort of ask them what skills you use in your job or what skills are required for you to learn. And then that can help you narrow down to which things might be useful to learn. And some of them are going to be obvious. So obviously, you know, programming is sort of a hot topic these days of, because it doesn't require a lot of formal education, but it's quite lucrative. And so lots of people going to programming, but there's also lots of skills that are kind of, I don't know, unexpected that turn out to be really valuable. So I was reading on Twitter the other day of, of one guy who was basically telling uh, that he basically built his career off of being really good at Excel, (laughs) that he was really good at Excel and he found some users or some people who were not as good at Excel as he was. And he was able to automate some of the tedious parts of their task by being good at Excel. So that's just an example of if you find some gaps in like being good at X would obviously be valuable to these people or would allow me to get this job. And then you just have to work backwards at how do I get good at X, which obviously there's a lot of detail and nuance in getting that right as well, which is why I wrote the book. But I think at least if you can pinpoint that goal of 
if I were a really good public speaker, for instance, that would move my career forward. Or if I knew marketing really well, like even if you can just get that goal crystallized, then already you're, you're much further along than most people. And would you suggest like people to turn to a specific resource or website? Like, because there's so much information now, right? Mm-hmm. Like you with, with little courses that you can get on Udemy towards, yeah. you know, doing kind of what you did, like, how do you funnel out the information that's just kind of created by Randy and then actually instead get something from like a true expert? Right. So one of the things that I actually recommend in the book is, is a phase I call meta learning. So meta is just a prefix that means something's about itself. So meta learning is learning about learning. And in this case, what that involves is doing a research project. So I suggest what I call the 10% rule, which is that if your project you imagine is going to take, let's say, 100 hours to complete, then maybe spending as much as 10 hours doing research on what are the ways that people use to learn this. And it's going to vary for every single topic. So it's not like I can suggest, okay, we'll just go to this website and they have everything really good yeah, yeah, yeah. for the resources because it's exactly what you described. There's a lot of garbage out there. Yeah. But at the same time, if you go and you look around and you look at people who successfully learned that skill and ask them what they learned to use and, and what resources they learned and what subjects they learned, you can often come up with some good solutions. And um, there's actually this really interesting... Uh, scientific literature about adult learners, uh, just to prove that there's a scientific literature on everything. And one of the findings of it is that people don't do research. (laughs) They just kind of go with whatever is immediately in their vicinity when they want to learn something. And so I would say that this is a huge advantage you can cultivate if you're able to do this, if you're able to go out and say, hmm, what's the best way to learn a language? Not just, oh, when I searched language learning on my phone, this was the first app that came up. Because that can be misleading. Sometimes the most popular thing is chosen or is most popular because it's the most entertaining or colorful or flashy and not because it will actually get you meaningful skills. So just because I don't want to be too abstract, some good starting points is that if you want to learn an academic skill, I I would say Uh, Coursera is a good platform, as well as the leading universities often have coursework. So if we're talking about MIT, Harvard, Yale, um, if it's something that's in high school to early college, Khan Academy is very good. If we're talking about practical skills, so you want to learn a skill to be able to perform it, then I would say try to find uh, people who are already practitioners of this skill and yeah. see which re- resources they recommend because that's going to be a lot more niched and specific. So if you're trying to learn a specific aspect of internet marketing, for instance, you're going to look towards different resources that may not be covered in a Harvard class. Yeah, that's really good. And, and so how, how many languages do you speak now? So I would say that I speak more or less uh, six, including English right now, which uh, I learned some French. This was a sort of a project okay. I talked about earlier. Yeah. And I also speak uh, Spanish, uh, Portuguese, Chinese, and Korean, although my Korean is somewhat weaker than the other three. Or the four, that, I should say. What was that process like for you? Because you did four in a year. Like, that's Yeah, like, yeah. So this was... so this was a project that i did with a friend after i'd finished the mit project yeah and um you know it's i kind of talk about it in the book but it it was sort of a transformative process for me because my whole life and i'm sure many people feel this way you know your big learning experiences in school and and maybe have mixed feelings about that but doing this project on my own i kind of felt very free and and like what what other things could you know i learn or tackle or try to attempt that you know i'd been kind of scared of before thought I might be able to not do and and I'd remembered when I was learning French so this happened when I was I went on exchange for a year when I was in university I studied abroad 
And I really tried to learn French and I'd put in a lot of effort, but it always felt like it was a bit of a grind. And a big reason for that was that everyone around me spoke to me in English all the time. And so every time I tried to speak in French, it would begin this pushback. So it was just like a constant effort. And so uh, I thought about this. I thought about Benny Lewis, my my friend that I mentioned who speaks uh, many languages. And I thought, you know what would be the best way to learn it is if you never spoke in English, if you just landed in the country and then when you met people, they knew you were only speaking the language you're trying to learn. And then you would form a new social network and you'd be an immersion and you would learn much more quickly. And so this was just a hypothesis. And I had a friend who was uh, about to take a gap year. So he was already going to travel. And I was thinking, you know, well, what if we went together and, and we did this kind of project? And so there's considerable debate and discussion that I'm omitting here. But we decided to go to four countries and use what we call the no English method, which is you land in the country and you don't speak in English to each other or to anyone that you meet, you know, barring some rare exceptions or emergencies. And so the, the overall method, um, you know, we landed in Spain. And it worked incredibly well. Like I felt like after two months in Spain, I had better Spanish than I had after a year uh, in France learning French, uh, despite the fact that I was, you know, in in some ways not even putting in the same amount of effort that in France, I felt like it was more effortful because every social interaction had that kind of, of well, am I going to speak in French right now and embarrass myself? (laughs) Whereas in in Spanish, it was just, it wasn't even a question. Nobody had ever heard me speak English before. So there was no question about what I was going to speak to them. And so any basics on that, like any basics? Yeah. Okay. So we did do a little bit of prep beforehand, but not a lot. Like I think Spanish, we did about 50 hours, uh, which was Pimsleur and like a little bit of random other stuff. Um, The one I had the most for was Chinese I did about a hundred and that was just because I found these like flashcards on my phone and I was just I just been doing them like six months before yeah and it kind of clocked up the time but you know I would say that those are probably good numbers for those respective languages so for a European language 50 seemed like the right amount um, to get to get that sort of foothold and uh, for Asian languages I would say probably more like a hundred just because they're just so different from English that uh, you're going to have more hurdles um, so I wouldn't recommend doing it right from zero because it's really hard to, you know, deal with the getting to a new place and traveling if you have nothing. Like Brazilian Portuguese, we had zero and that was that was rough just because oh, no. we're dealing with like moving in and having, you know, we were homeless for a little bit because we had gotten out of an Airbnb and we had to find a new place. And so we're wandering around this Brazilian beach asking people in our limited Portuguese if they had a room for two months, which went about as well as you expected to. Um, And so I wouldn't recommend doing that. I'd recommend doing a little bit of practice. So at least when you want to ask uh, (laughs) if they have rent for new months, you don't have to look it up in Google Translate first. But but I think that was the the sort of overall approach that I would recommend for someone that you don't have to have studied it for like two or three years before you do this. If you go and you commit to the immersive process, it creates this reinforcing feedback loop. And really it was one of the most incredible experiences of of both of our lives of of doing this learning project. So it wasn't just that we learned this languages and that it was also drudgery. It was also this fun, exciting process. Yeah. Two questions as follow up for you. First of all, like three months. So you obviously spent three months in each, each country learning these languages. More or less. Yeah. More or less. Would you say that three month immersion was enough? Um, so I, I think this is another thing like three months is the amount that is on a lot of tourist visas. So this was also partly for us doing it this way. So I would say that the three months you're for, so for Spanish, for instance, I felt like the, the sort of, um, 
when we were starting to get to the point where it's like, oh, we're hanging out with friends and doing the kinds of things sort of casually, socially that I would expect to do in an English speaking country, that actually happened a bit earlier. That would have been probably about a month and a half. And so we kind of felt like, oh yeah, we, you know, we got to the level that we wanted to get to. Now, I mean, that's a little bit of a different level than, oh, I'm perfectly fluent and could, you know, yeah, take course. university classes in Spanish or something <laughs> like that. But definitely from the level of, you know, what was going on dates and we were yeah. you know, having friends and hanging out and just, just living our lives, uh, that was pretty easy. China and Korea, Korea was kind of like near the end. We were just starting to get to there. So gotcha. it was a little bit harder, but we didn't yep. have any prep for Korea. And China, I felt like I was kind of getting there near the end, but it was it was harder. And it's it's a little bit more work to do that. So my advice, if someone was just asking me, what what, what amount of time would you recommend if you just had infinite time in the world? I would say three months is probably a good start for a lot of European languages. Yep. Um, for the Asian languages, I think if you did it in a year, you would be very happy. Uh, not not to say that they're like entirely equivalent. There's just there's differences in learning each of them. But I think um, trying to do it in three months for an Asian country, you just have to expect that you're going to be studying a lot harder to get to the same level. It's going to be a lot more work as opposed to you know having fun and hanging out at the beach. <laughs> No doubt. So, I mean, obviously you had a lot of fun. You learned a bunch, yeah. you met people, you immersed yourself. Like what's, I want to say the biggest lesson you learned, but like, what are some of those, like you look back on it and like, what are some of those things that you really can take away from that trip that you sort of utilized now? Yeah. So one of the big things I would say is how important creating the environment and structuring your project is to your eventual learning success. And this is also something that's somewhat of a lesson from my previous project too. But many of us, when we go into approaching new things, we just kind of go into it haphazardly. So uh, the classic example of this is that, you know, I, I've had this experience and, and people sometimes say, you know, what's, what's your advice for learning a language? And, and it's people who are already going to travel. So I, I want to make that point clear. Um, they're already in a position to do what I, I'm saying that I did. And I, my advice is, well, don't speak in English. Use this no English rule, at least in the beginning. You know, maybe after two months, if you want to start speaking English, it's fine. But establish those habits in the beginning. And a lot of people say something akin to, oh, yeah, I don't know whether I'm going to do that, but I'll, I'll try to do my best. And I'm kind of like, no, no, don't do that because you're going to make it so much harder for yourself. Because if you don't set up the environment correctly, then you'll have what happened to me in France, where you really want to do something, but you've created an environment, you've created a structure for your project that works against the goal you're trying to achieve. So I think this applies to a lot more than language learning. If you're trying to start a business, if you're trying to yeah. master any skill, think about how the environment that you create, and I don't just mean the physical environment, but also the relationships with people you have that you're interacting with, and your kind of internal mental environment, how are those structured to help you to kind of automatically make those decisions that push you along your goal rather than have you constantly be pushed out of them. One of the examples I, I talk about in the book is a friend of mine, Tristan de Montebello, did a project to learn public speaking and he had an incredible uh, run of progress that he went in about six or seven months, he went from having near zero experience public speaking to being a finalist for the World Championship of Public Speaking, wow. which is a competition put on by Toastmasters every year that has something like something like 32,000 people yeah. compete every year. So it's, it's crazy to be in the top 10. And what I noticed about his project is just the way that he structured it initially by, okay, I want to work on it in this time frame. I'm going to put this kind of investment in. And then also the structure of these competitions, because there was a bunch of sort of elimination style competitions. 
ended up being that he was kind of naturally sucked into the project and working really intensely on it as opposed to, ugh, okay, I got to have to do another speech this week. And then it's a slow grind. So I think thinking about those aspects of design and how you design your projects, your efforts and your environment is underappreciated as it comes to success, not only with learning, but with, with anything. It's kind of funny, right? Cause you know, as you have so much information and people nowadays, you can just like start a business in the blink of an eye and, and yeah. change your career in the blink of an eye. And I, I view it as sort of an athlete cause I come from a sports background where mm -hmm. it's not like you can just turn around tomorrow and be like, I want to be a professional athlete. Like mm -hmm. it takes a ton of work. And I think if you want to do something successfully, you need to be able to put in that work. And that's where I think having that structure and plan and making sure that you have people that you can look to and help you like, that's why it's so important at the beginning. Yeah. And, and, you know, and just to put in, in, in a case in point, speaking about athletics, it's obviously the case that, you know, learning requires work that all these projects require work. I'm not trying to make the claim that, mm -hmm. Oh, if you do X, then it's no work. No, That's course. kind of the opposite. You want to create a project that makes it easy to put a lot of work in a lot of effort. And so yes. the example of that would be, you know, if you are in one of these elite sort of sports programs where you get funneled into it and you have really good coaching and this kind of thing, then you achieve a lot better than people who are maybe, you know, let's say you want to be a, you know, a runner or something like that. And you're like, I'm just going to run outside versus the person who has the elite coaches, who's in the school, who is, has the environment where he's being trained and groomed to succeed is going to probably do a lot better. And, and I think running is a sort of trivial case because, you know, the actual act of running is something that we can all do all the time. Totally. It's not really an issue of resources, it's an issue of structuring. And so I think for a lot of our pursuits, thinking about how we can engineer them to generate the motivation rather than simply saying to ourselves, well, I don't have the motivation to do that. I think it's a, it's a more fruitful kind of question is to look at the goals you have and say, how could I become super motivated to do this rather than just sort of, you know, well, if I'm not obsessively interested in this, then I might as well give up now. No doubt. That's super interesting. For people who wanted to learn more and, and obviously grab a copy of that book, because I think so many people are intrigued by this sort of idea. I know I am of ultra mm -hmm. learning and learning more and learning properly. Like where's the best place everyone can go? Right. So uh, my website is scotthyoung.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-H-Y-O-U-N-G.com. And I've got thousands of free articles, including my own podcast. And awesome. as well, if you want to read the book, it's available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books. Uh, if you want to listen to the book, the Audible version is narrated by me. So if you're not sick of listening to me by now, then uh, you can listen to me a bit more in the audiobook. Awesome, man. Well, I'll sh I'm going to share all these links in the show notes section, everyone, to make it super simple to connect. But visit scotthyoung.com. Scott, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and coming on the show here with us today. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You got it, man. Well, everyone, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure you hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, share this out with a friend. We will be back with another interview. Until then, Colin Morgan signing off. And always remember to keep on grinding lower the lights down hand over my crown hand over my heart